I'm Jason. And I'm Jules. And we do in filmographies. Tonight we're covering Women and Men 2. Sounds good to me. In Love There Are No Rules. Ooh, I forgot about that. Isn't it about breaking the rules? No, it's just In Love There Are No Rules. Yeah. This movie should have been called Men Who Deal With Women With Problems, as written by men. That sounds good. The best part about this movie is that it's actually fairly short. But in that brevity, there's no resolution, no anything. Yeah. No satisfying anything. Julian over here watched the whole thing. I was in a time crunch, and I didn't want to make my girlfriend watch all three stories. And we just wanted the Leota one, mm-hmm. so we just watched that. And, and nothing wrong with that, because, I mean, I mean, it is something wrong with that. But but just watching the one. Because they're isolated stories, right? It makes sense to skip yeah. it, even though in theory we'd like to watch the whole thing. Here's our synopses. Three short stories about women and men relationships. The first about a successful boxer in New York City, whose wife only wants to return to her hometown in Kansas. The second about a man who has to take care of his wife and children because the woman is an alcoholic. The third is about a brief but torturous, torturous, tortuous. It says tortuous in here, but I think it's supposed to be torturous. Encounter between the writer Henry Miller and a prostitute in Paris. So it is supposed to be Henry Miller. I guess. So this Women and Men 2 has no Rotten Tomato review scores. There's not really any trace of this movie online. 50% audience score, though. Okay. (laughs) Well, the copy we watched was like a screener. Yeah. And it kept saying, hey, don't sell this or or anything. I bought it on eBay. And on the back of the box, it gives you a deal if you buy two copies of the film. Like, somebody's going to be so blown away by this movie. This is how it used to work, man, at the video stores, right? You you get yeah, the screeners, yeah. you purchase in bulk, a better mm-hmm. deal with however many you get. Yeah, or even like um, award ceremony the shit. They send like Oscar screeners out. I doubt this was that. Yeah. This probably was like. It's, it's, it's interesting, though, to think about people paying $100 per VHS mm-hmm. back in like the mid-90s. I remember I tried to buy Glory Days on VHS when I worked at Hollywood Video. They ordered it for me. When it came in, it was like $97. And then I was like, no. And they're like, oh, we'll, we'll take care of it. And I think they marked it down to like nine ninety nine or something. Watching this was like, just seemed cheap. I, I only saw the middle one, but there was what... I would think would be like a Red Shoe Diaries feel, which I don't even know that I've seen any of those or many of those. Well, and it's weird because it's like the man and woman in each story is fairly well known and accomplished. Yeah, for sure. To some extent. Some are still at the beginning of their careers, like Kira Cedric. She's not. And was it Campbell Scott too? Uh, Scott uh, Scott Glenn. No, no. In the first one. Oh, no. It was um, Matt Dillon. Jeez. Okay. Also, Jerry Stiller. Is in the first one. He's his boxing coach. Oh, I'm excited to hear about this. Uh, Jared Harris, who was in Fringe, and he was also in Chernobyl. Madman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in there. He's like super young. He's and usually a tragic character in like everything he's in. Well, it, had this have been anything worth note, I'm sure they probably, if they had time to get to that, that's where it seems like it was going for Matt Dillon's character. And then uh, J- Jared Harris's uh, girlfriend, a young Jane Krakowski. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. And then it looked like the dude that Matt Dillon was boxing in the beginning was bill paxton but it apparently it wasn't yeah they would have credited he would have been like far too well known at this point to just be a no-name boxer it's a stupid movie when did this thing come out is this 90 93 it's listed before article 99 so it's gotta be oh then it must be yeah 
1991. So the first one is called Return to Kansas City. Basically, Matt Dillon's an up-and-coming boxer. He's not like accomplished or anything. He's got a career ahead of him, but he's also being incredibly careful. And his wife is complaining, you know, she's all dressed up for the fight. And Jerry Stiller's like, you know, you should fight uh, Jared Harris's guy. And because he's another boxer. And he's like, nah. I'm not ready for that. And Jared Harris comes back with Jane Krakowski and he's like eyeballing him. And you know, why don't you come to the club that we're going to sometime? Uh, her, somebody's a cook there or something. That's how Jared Harris is talking? Yeah. He's, he's doing an accent? Yeah. But you could tell he's still Jared Harris. In yeah. There. He looks super young. It's weird. Kira Cedric's like, yeah, how about tonight? Matt Dillon's like, nah, we got a thing. So they leave, go home. And the weird part is, is when they get home, their baby's just in the crib. Oh, they left their fucking baby alone? Yeah, being watched by the next door neighbor. So he yells out the window, hey, Mrs. Whatever, we're home. Oh, okay. She just comes over at the baby screaming? Apparently. And Matt Dillon actually comments on that. He's like, no, what if she's hurt? I mean, is this the best thing? And she goes, well, can't afford a real sitter. And she cries, she'll come over. Yeah, but babies don't always cry when they're hurt. What what do you, what do you expect? You know, how old's the baby? I mean, it's in diapers and in a crib, so probably one, two, maybe. Shit, dude. I mean, if you were like six months old, mm-hmm. I'd be like, all right, it's probably pretty safe in there. Mm-hmm. But man, two? Two's like, there might be a bust out, a sneak out. Two mm-hmm. is trouble. Even like one and a half, I feel like could be trouble. I mean, yeah, say, the, I don't know, something weird happens and it starts choking or. Yeah. You're not going to hear that shit. No. You know, and so the basic premise is that she, they came from Kansas City. And all of her family and friends are there. She's incredibly lonely. She can't make friends in New York. They don't have any money, it sounds like. He makes some money. He made like $300 on that fight, but he only made 260 because 40 of it went to pay for the dress that she was wearing, that he got. What the fuck is she wearing a $40 dress for? And you said the 40s? 39. Like they mentioned Chancellor Hitler on the radio. I don't know that those numbers make sense. $40. No. That's, is it made of pearls? He said to pay off the dress, which suggests to me that there was an initial payment or down payment of some sort to secure it, unlike some sort of a layaway program or something, pre-credit, you know? It seems awfully expensive, you know? And so she's complaining because he trains all day and he doesn't have sex for a few weeks when he's getting ready to fight and he sleeps all day and, you know, and she's like, you're ready for, you're ready to fight Jared Harris. And he's like, I don't want to end up in the hospital. That guy's like concrete and springs, you know what I mean? Nothing good comes from it. I don't want to get hurt for nothing. Oh, I'm nothing. I want to go back to Kansas City. Well, you were just there and you bribe presents for everyone. And she's like, well, I was talking to Jerry Stiller and he said that he can get you a thousand dollars. So he's like, you know what? Man, you really see where this is going. Yeah. She's fucking riding him hard. Yeah. And so finally he's like, you know what? Maybe I can get 1200. I guess. And I can I can go to Kansas City. I won't buy so many gifts. Just just for the immediate family. This lady's bad news. And she walks off with the baby to go out on a walk and he just sits there trying to eat his steak, drink his coffee while he's probably, you know, contemplating all of the dread that might come from, you know, fighting some I'm assuming he's like either a dirty fighter or he just decimates you with a punch. So you get brain damage or uh, broken eye or yeah, some you, shit. You can't box anymore. Mm-hmm. So you're going to blow your entire income on a stupid match. Mm-hmm. Wow. And she spends all of her nights like listening to the radio because it broadcasts from New York and then it goes to like Chicago and all across the country and ends up in like San Francisco or something. So she's just like got her head in the fucking clouds, man. And, and she's an asshole. She's just spending mm-hmm. the money on nothing too. Hey man, get yourself killed boxing. Uh, I want to buy nothing. I'm going to buy some clouds. So then it jumps to Ray Liotta's bit. 
wait, that's it? It ends with him eating the steak and drinking coffee? Yeah. With his doom ahead of him? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, anything... Holy fuck, that's, this is what happens in the next one. This is every single one of them? I had a moment of dread going into the third one where I was like, oh no, is it going to come back to each one and resolve them? That would have been, you, you didn't want that to happen? If it had, I mean, I would have watched it and that probably would have been far better. This, it's just, it just seems like, well, what's the point? Yeah. You know, you're getting a glimpse into this one minute moment. I mean, it's somewhat important, I guess, if he's at risk of being injured. But if he does get injured, she'll probably leave him. Yeah, it's uh, just <laughs> nothing. He's going to be half half disabled working a dock or sweeping a sidewalk somewhere living in squalor. You can tell that they're patting themselves on the back making these as though they are important vignettes that really are offering you up some truth Mm -hmm. i think they're trying to do like a raymond carver type thing they're slight i I mean i keep saying that so i've seen them all but based on what you're telling me and and the one that i did watch almost no substance at all and ray liotta's almost even more so because at least with this boxing one there's ancillary characters that are kind of I mean, Jerry Stiller, you know, Jared Harris and Jane Krakowski all are great. So then we get to the Ray Liotta one and he's like uh, an ad man. And there's really nobody else of note in this one. It's just Ray Liotta and Andy McDowell, except the actor Paul Lazar um, is apparently one of the ad men also. He played the doctor in the Korean movie, The Host. He was also in Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia. I mean, he kind of looks like the guy from I Think You Should Leave. Uh, that Netflix. The main guy? Yeah, Tom Robinson? Tim Tim Robinson? Robinson. Yeah. He looks just like that guy. L-A-Z-A-R. Paul Lazar. Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember seeing him in there. He's always a little cross. Yep, one's shooting out. He's always a dope or or something. I feel bad for Tim for you comparing him to him. That show is fantastic. It's real good. But then you saw in the trash a receipt from Home Depot for a toilet the exact same size as yours, but with a joke hole that's just for farts. Okay, so back to Leota. Yep. So he's watching the clock in this ad meeting, and his secretary's like, now's the time or whatever. And they ask him for his opinion on renaming some product. And he's like, I gotta go. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. And then he leaves the door open when he leaves. It's like, dude, we're in a meeting. Close the fucking door. Where you at, Leota? Come on. So he jumps on the train, and then I think he jumps on the bus, and then he finally... Uh, finds a kid glove outside their house and there's a scream ah you know so he runs in the house he's scared he's worried what the hell? right because we come find out why but yeah. and it's just his two kids he's got a young kid uh daughter who's probably like three uh, two i don't i don't know and then a boy who's probably like six yeah five I mean, I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember but i don't know that she she might be a yeah between three and four he seems like he's around six five six. yeah she's walking and talking you know, and he's got a mind. To These some are extent. not the. Yeah. So, also, I, I love the wonderful detail of a VHS where you're like, I can see that they're messing around with stuff. I feel like it's Christmas stuff, but I can't make out any fucking details <laughs> on my nice TV because it's a VHS. Yeah. They're playing with like uh, strings of lights, and she's got some tinsel ornament or something. And part of the tree, or no? It's the long tree. Perhaps. Yeah. And so, Ray Liotta, he's like, where's the babysitter and you know, mom sent, sends her home early on thursdays oh uh, well, where's mommy she's upstairs oh we should probably get you some dinner to the no no no. The mommy made us dinner it's spicy toast spicy toast yeah god damn i was i i was having trouble understanding that child and i was like i I think he said spicy toast. Mm-hmm. I was really thinking about that for a little bit until they reveal what was up with that spicy well, toast. Well, it was supposed to be cinnamon. 
Yeah. But yeah, so he bites it. Ugh, what the hell? And he looks and, oh, the cayenne pepper, which I didn't realize was a thing for the people in the 50s. To use cayenne? Yeah. I mean, that's probably the only way you're getting any spice. I guess, but considering how, like, spice-averse a lot of Americans are. I feel like they always like chili. I suppose. It's also not Christmas. No, it's July? I think no, it's, it's April, because Easter's Easter, coming. Easter, right. The Easter Bunny's on his way. It was a nice thing. He, he told the kid, hey, son, you're not supposed to be playing with outlets. And then the daughter, when she gets up, she trips and falls. And he runs in all like, oh, you know, like real doting and it's tender. This is so fucked up. I was so disturbed by this. Like, we're going to discover that the wife is just upstairs in her room. Her kids are by themselves Mm -hmm. in the living room. She's not only on a different floor, but she's behind a closed door. Drunk. Yeah. Fucking, you're not going to hear anything. Uh, Apparently not the daughter screaming. No. Which he heard from outside, right? So he's like, well, hang on. I'm going to make dinner, but I'm going to run upstairs and check on mommy. You know, and he opens up the door and she's got a glass of sherry and she like tucks a magazine behind her. Uh-huh. What do you think that was? Like, play dude? I don't. Do you think so? No, I don't think Monster so. Wings? I don't know. I don't think there was male nudity back then. Like, no, yeah, probably not. You'd need like secret, secret stuff. Yeah. I mean, if it's in the 50s, like Playboy's like just getting off the ground and that didn't have a lot of nudity. No. And that, there's that show Minx on HBO where they're making the first dick filled magazine oh. that's in like the 70s. Called Minx? Maybe. Interesting. Oh. So it, it's Andy McDowell. She's hiding her sherry. Yep. She hit her magazine. Yeah. What the, I don't know what the fuck it would be. Maybe, maybe it's a Playboy. Maybe she just. Maybe she's looking at some titties. Didn't want it to seem like she's doing nothing. Play it off Ex- like you were doing something. Because she puts but the drink down on the floor and he's like, hey, what are you, what are you doing? You know, and she's just like accusatorial, like out the gate. I don't think she accuses him of trying to get with the babysitter upstairs. I think it's down in the kitchen with the kids. Basically, he's like, she's like, I'm going to come down and make dinner. And they're kind of fighting a little bit. And he's just like, I tell you what. You just hang out up here. I'm going to go make dinner. I'll bring it up. We can have a nice, relaxed dinner together. And she's just like not having it. So he goes down. He starts frying up some pork chops. And she pulls out her hidden stash. Yeah. I liked it when you heard the the bottle clink around in that was hat like box. a sewing t- oh, hat I box think so. under yeah. her bed. Yeah. And, and that's not, is that their room or is that like another room? I think it's their room. She said she was drinking sherry. That kind of felt more like a brandy bottle okay she just kept like going on about her, her afternoon sherry <laughs> she i did. like to have an afternoon sherry i had one she says and then a few minutes later she goes i have a couple of sherries in the afternoon and you're trying to make me out a drunkard <laughs> one would probably be fine yeah you might be a little silly and probably get a little sleepy yeah one would be fine i don't i don't know the alcohol content of sherry 16 to 18 percent i mean it's like a cooking wine right so it's you know so he's down there cooking and shit and she comes down and she just, he, oh, he's talking to the boy about his, uh, tooth because he's having tree. trouble eating, right? Cause he's got a loose tooth and he goes into the whole tooth tree thing, which was kind of horrifying. Yeah. You know, like there's a tree that's going to grow inside of you and basically kill you. But wasn't there like a cute ending to that story where it made sense? I don't, I don't recall remember. it, but I, I felt like there was a cute capper to it where it made it less horrifying. Possibly. But then the mom comes in and she's like, are you trying to turn your, the kids against me? And you're trying to fuck the babysitter. That's why I sent her home. What did you, what did dad say to you? What did daddy tell you? Yeah. And he's like, the tooth tree, the what? The tooth tree. And she starts to like feel bad. So basically he's like, take your sister and and go upstairs. I'll, I'll be up in a little bit. And she sits down and I think she maybe weeps a little bit. And then he puts her to bed. I think, I think so. And then he goes to bathe the children, pulls the tooth out of the boy's head. 
then puts them to bed and, you know, talk about the tooth fairy a little bit and the kid's wise to him. He's like, oh, you put, you put the money in there, you know? And he goes and he like cradles his wife a little bit and then he goes back downstairs to eat, right? Yep. And that's where he has his visions. Oh, that's right. That's the weirdest thing in the world, man. So he has a vision of him being escorted to the beach by a cop and he gets out and he walks over and a bunch of people on the beach crowded and gave way and they pulled the sheet back and it's his two dead kids drowned and oh no after he eats sees that and then he goes upstairs because i'm like as he's going upstairs i'm like that's the resolution to it all oh no are they are they really dead and he's just living like a weird brain fantasy you thought that i did i guess that would be better than what you get gave the movie far too much credit yeah you know, so he goes upstairs, he hugs his wife, and she kisses him a little bit. That's it. She's Sexy saxophone music. She's basically passed out. Right? Yeah. I, I, I did forget to mention the name of the guy that did the music for the Return to Kansas City bit. His name was Dick Hyman. Oh. <laughs> the music was bad in this, right? All around. It's very Red Shoe Diaries. So this is two in a row with the worst music you ever fucking heard in your life. We'll get into it after we're done with this video. And apparently they, they saw fit to do that to the third segment poor mike figgis yeah yeah poor mike figgis man this ugh, yeah i like are we supposed to believe he's gonna do anything to protect his children no no the sad part is um back then i guess i don't know when aa started it was sometime around there 1935 but for the most part she probably has no real support or help options no even if she wanted to get better there's gonna be stigma they're gonna tell him to just have her committed more than likely. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, you know. He, he's got all the power in the situation. Yeah, you can take the drinks out of the house, but I mean. He could get away with locking her in a room to make her sober up. Yeah. Because he's the husband. Yeah. Nobody's going to bat an eye at that. No. You lock her up in a sanatorium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he seems like a nice guy, you know? He. This is the one thing that I like about this segment is I really like Ray Liotta in this. He's so good. He's really warm. He seems like a really good dad. His kids are pretty cute, too. Yeah. I was thinking, like, are they anybody? But I don't recognize them in more contemporary pictures. But, man, he's really good. I actually... When, we're wa- when I was watching Article 99 after this, I just kept thinking, I feel like Ray got cheated hard mm-hmm. out of the career. I mean, I'm sure he was happy with his career, but mm-hmm. there's a real tenderness. He could have been the co-romantic lead and lots of stuff. He didn't yeah. have to be the bad guy. Maybe yeah. he maybe he really enjoyed it. I don't know. He seemed to like, he called it, he likes to play pretend. Mm-hmm. I was reading an interview. <laughs> that he gave but it it is kind of a bummer that it does seem like it's all it do seem like it all police officers and criminals and scary dudes for the most part yeah we could be wrong there's lots of movies coming our way but true yeah yeah, yeah. i mean so far up to this point he's played sort of wide selection of characters i mean his first two movies he's a raging lunatic but yes. after that dominic and eugene yep He's like a nice brother. Fairly tender. Doctor. Article 99 coming up. You know. Nice guy. He doesn't do his laugh. No, I was waiting for it. In this or that, surprisingly. I mean, I guess not surprisingly. When would it have been appropriate? No. Goodfellas, he's not even a psycho. No. Uh, Field of Dreams, not at all. He's just a ghost. Yeah. You know? An interesting one. Yeah. With depth. Yeah, tormented. All right, let's do the third one of this giant sack of shit. The third one, it doesn't have anybody in it that I've recognized. What? You don't know? Other than... Juliet Binoche and Scott Glenn? Yeah. I mean, I'm saying other than them. Neither did the Ray Liotta one. The the, the, the Return to Kansas City kind of 
set me up for the fall because I was like, oh shit, there's like three other notable people in here, but they don't get anybody else to be in the rest of them because there really is no other notable character. Well, as I rewound it and saw the whole thing in, you know, three speed reverse, mm-hmm. it seems like it all just takes place at that restaurant. Kind of. Yeah. So like it starts off with Julia Binoche. She's in like a tight black dress. Pinoche. Oh, sure. My bad. My bad. <laughs> like a super mini skirt and like a long coat. She's a prostitute. She's a, not just, you know, I would buy her as a call girl, but not like a hooker on the street, which is what she was. Yeah. I mean, I was actually quite surprised rewinding it and discovering she was a, a, a sex worker. But yeah, that, that real stereotypical short skirt, furry coat. Yeah. Like cars stumbling are along, driving up and she's going up like, and I don't speak French. You, oh, she's, it's, what is this? It's in, in Paris. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, it sounds like she's saying basically like 10 cents or some shit. 10, f- I don't, what, what is a franc? Is that a dollar? Oh, yeah. Cause they it's switched over is to that the euro, right? They switched to the euro. Yeah. It's uh, franc, right? Yeah. It sounded like whatever it was, it was fairly cheap for, and she's banging. In this, she actually looks like, um, Julia Roberts, which was an interesting development. Julia Pinoche is pretty. So basically, she's, you know, offering her services and nobody's taking. It's weird. Cars are like pulling up. She's the only one standing there. She does her thing and then they drive off without taking her in. That's odd because you're, if you're stopping, it's because you're in the market for some action. And she's the only one standing there. And she looks great. Does she have sores all over her mouth? No. No. And her breasts are heaving. Her skirt is so short that it's like barely covering her cooch. All right. Barn door is wide open. I, I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like the flap on the bar. Is that your zipper? Or? I don't know. I'm th- picturing the flap on the back of like some, some overalls. The barn door. Flippity. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott Glenn's having dinner in like a, a fancy restaurant. And he goes out to use a payphone, and he's calling some woman that he knows. It's unclear who she is. And he's like, you know, maybe we should get together and talk and have a drink. And he's like, why are you talking like that? You know, is there somebody there oh there is somebody there <laughs> you know and and outside of the phone booth is where julia Binoche is and there's a couple of sex workers that are milling about eyeballing her and they pin her up against the window of a store like not it's hard to say what they're saying or their intentions are there's they, no subtitles there is but in this part i'm assuming they're like why are you on our turf but at the same time it's like she's the only one standing on the street you guys are across the street. So they slap her a little bit. Scott Glenn comes out like, hey, ladies, come on, get out of here, you know. And they leave. And he's like, are you all right? And it's funny because he's speaking English. And when the one of the girls turns to walk away, it actually obfuscates him from the camera. And then there's like ADR of him saying it in French. It was like they couldn't get it during the take. So they shoved it in there a little bit. And so he's like, you know, why don't I, why don't you come with me and I'll just take you inside this restaurant and uh it's hardy's they got a nice hamburger <laughs> get yourself a nice hamburger sandwich yeah it's upscale yeah hardy's steam clams you call hamburgers steamed hams yes and so he you know they go in and they're just chatting and he's telling she's like what did you eat you ate here before you mentioned that and he's like yeah i had this and it's really good and i had dessert and it was fantastic and he's like you seem hungry you know let me buy you a meal and she's like well okay but we can find somewhere much cheaper than this. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I just sold a thing. I I got some money I want to spend. So she's like, well, I got to go meet a guy um, around the corner. You know, he's like, well, I'll wait. You know, if you don't come back, no hard feeling. So he has a drink and she comes back and the maitre d' like, oh, and she scuttles past him. And basically they're, he's like, well, let's just, you know, 
go somewhere else then. So they go to a club, they're having some food, and he gets up to go talk to a guy that he notices who does like the va-va-voom lady figure sh- shape with his hands, you know? Because he looks- about Julia Pinoche? Yeah. To him? To Scott Glenn. He's facing, like, you would be the guy, and I'm Scott Glenn, and she's here. So he sees him, and he goes, oh, I'm going to go talk to a friend real quick. He knows him. Yeah, apparently. Okay. So he goes over to talk to him and this lady that he's with. We don't hear the conversation. While she's sitting there eating, she notices a young group of people at an adjacent booth, and the one guy, looks like he's from, like, Flock of Seagulls, he's, like, staring at her intensely, and... She's kind of looking away, and then she's, like, looking at him, and now she's, like, looking at him, and he, like, does, like, a weird nod. And we cut back to Scott Glenn, who looks over, and the young guy is talking to her at the table. And he leaves, and she turns around and catches him looking at her, and he looks away, and he comes back, and he's like, well, uh, you know what? I'm getting kind of tired. Maybe I should just get out of here. And she's like, it's okay. You don't have to pretend. You know, he'll wait, basically. And he's like uh okay you know and so then they stumble out of there seemingly like drunk although it didn't really seem like they were drunk up to that point and it seems like they want to bang so he's taking her scott glenn and julia pinot yeah okay so they're walking down the street presumably to go to his house or hotel or whatever they pass an alley she stops him and drags him into the alley and they start like making out and it's real awkward eventually he stops and he looks over his shoulder and there's like an old man like looking out the window and and he's like you know what i'm gonna go she pulls him in i think for a little bit more of a kiss and eventually he just like puts a bunch of money in her hand and he's like good luck i'll see you later and he starts walking away and she's like fall down drunk at this point and he's like stumbling and she comes after him like stop wait wait stop and she Finally gets up to him and she goes, this is too much money. It's too much money. Too much. No, no, it's too much. He goes, nah, it's fine, you know. She throws it on the ground and she starts like crying and like cursing at him. And he's like, are you all right? And she's like, just go. And he like walks off and then she gets up and stumbles back down the dark alley. And then that's the end. What you want? <laughs> oh, like, man. What is going on here? I can see if maybe that guy had been able to edit it himself, his vision, and whatever soundtrack he had made for it. That might have helped, but it just sort of devolves into, like, crap. It's kind of interesting, but I don't know, man. None of these movies make women look good at all. And all of the men are basically, like, Mr. Good Guys and shit. fuck. It's weird, man. And then, yeah, the movie ends. Why would you make this? What is the point of this? I mean, they thought they had powerful short stories to share. I could see if this was like more of an ongoing anthology, like a Tales from the Crypt or a... God, can you imagine if there was like 50 episodes of this? I mean, at least maybe they'd start improving. No, no, this is a formula. (laughs) I don't understand. Why why is it called Women and Men? I mean, it's about women and men, but why are the women just so bad and... I don't know. Is it called In Love There Are No Rules? In Love There Are No Rules, yeah. But Julia Pinoche and Scott Glenn are in love. She says to him, I love you. Oh, really? Yeah. She goes, I love you. And I think that's what makes him kind of like snap back. Like, what? I mean, he's probably the first guy that's treated her nicely in a while. She says that, you know, you're you're talking to me nice. And she's like, "Some." it was kind of heartbreaking because she's like, a lot of the guys that I go with, they don't even speak. But I, I think this is all a fucking fallacy, too, man. Because on the night off, mm-hmm. 
of a sex worker, they can just be a hot, normal lady that, like, goes and does stuff and meets normal guys. Mm -hmm. People, You know? It's not like she's a homeless drug addict, right? No. It just seems to be her job. She says she's from Poland, where she owned and or just ran a nightclub. Some circumstances led her here. I think she might even mention or allude to maybe, like, a pimp that she has to answer to, but... I don't know, man. Like, I think it's accurate in that a lot of the times when people are in bad situations, specifically like if she's caught in the cycle of being a sex worker against her mm, better judgment or longer term goals and wishes, it's hard to break that yeah. if if the pimp is controlling her. Well, I think that most of the time the problem with the pimps is they take most of the money. Well, that and, you know, they either drug them or abuse them into a state of like codependency and and all of that shit but so so it's accurate that she i mean she's not working him but it does kind of come back to that a little bit but then yeah when she's like i love you you know it's i don't know is it real is it i mean not you know i th- it seems like he just saw a a pretty lady with an interesting story that wanted to have dinner with. He didn't have anybody to have dinner with. Hey, I guess you seem right. cool. Let's do this. Because his woman is moving on and he was in a vulnerable state. Yeah, I think it makes total sense. And then, yeah, let's go do something else. It's mm-hmm. not really working out at this restaurant. I'm sure they were hitting it off a little bit. But yeah, I mean, to see her business lurking around the corners like that guy at mm-hmm. the club. Yeah, that mm-hmm. ruins things. You know? It does. Yeah. Because no matter how the night ends... She's already basically said, I'm going to be doing this. Yeah. It's like, take a night off. You're out. Mm -hmm. Take a Julia Roberts moment. Pretty woman. Maybe I'll snap your finger in a jewelry case. Does that look okay? Something's missing. Well, nothing else is going to fit into this dress. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I've never seen Pretty Woman. Me either. I'm not going to pick it for a wild card, but (laughs) I, I think maybe we should each watch Pretty Woman. I might someday. Yeah. Yeah. I might do that soon. Do you have any more notes about this piece of shit? That's it, man. Dick Hyman. That's really all I wanted to put out there. Yeah, movie. I really liked really... How, okay, let's go to scores. Uh, movie, your rating. The overall score for the entire film? Yeah, I'm going to give it a three. Really? It's a few small, interesting things in there. And, and the actors, of course, you know, I don't... I like them all for the most part, so... I can't do the overall movie, but for the Leota segment, I'll give it a four. It's elevated by Leota. Really? And Annie McDowell, to some extent. but So what's your Leota score? Solid performance, man. I'm going to give him an 8. Fuck yeah. I'm going to give him an 8, too. Multifaceted. Did far more than he needed to. So warm and loving. Yeah. He just exudes warmth. It's so it's so different than Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely different than the first two Psycho roles. Yeah, and, and there's just so many small moments with him and the children. He's that so good with them. Textbook dad stuff, man. Hey, what do you want to give Andy McDowell in that? She was good. Far better. Kira Cedric wasn't really all that great. And Julia Binoche was good, but I think the material was just far beneath her. But Andy McDowell, I'm going to give her a six. Okay. I'll give her a six, too. Good old Andy. Okay. Yeah. So that takes care of women and men, too. So that's it? Yeah. We uh, we doing filmographies. We doing filmographies. We on Instagram. Instagram, uh, Facebook, yep. YouTube, all the same thing. We doing filmographies. Yep. If you're looking for us on Twitter, do filmographies. do filmographies. We're on Reddit, too. And you know what? You can email us. 
Mm-hmm. We doing filmographies at gmail.com. Yeah. But you looking up the phone number? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were you doing that too? No, I was taking a picture of you. I thought so. Give us a call. 763-634-1897. That's right. It's the hotline. Leave a voicemail. 763-634-1897. Yeah. All right. Join us next week for Article 99. And I'm out. We Doing Filmographies is a part of the Now Playing Network. Visit nowplayingnetwork.net to listen to podcasts such as Movie Madness, Chicago film critic Eric Childress's Movie Review Podcast. You want to hear some reviews on some more recent movies? Eric Childress has got you covered. Visit nowplayingnetwork.net. Matt Dillon, Kira Sedgwick, Ray Liotta, Andy McDowell, Scott Glenn, and Juliette Binoche in the more powerful and more passionate Women and Men 2.